Hi there. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, spread the word, and please take care. Now on to the conversation. Hello, hello. Anybody there? Hi. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm great. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I love your fancy booth. Look at all those lights. <laughs> you know, I do what I can. This is actually leftover Christmas stuff. So, you know, uh, a couple of flourishes. So I don't feel less like I'm in the basement. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It looks festive. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. So I'm really, really excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah. Likewise. So let's begin at the beginning. How do you find out that you want to be a writer? How do you find a way into writing? It's funny you call it the beginning because <laughs> I feel like I'm still trying to figure that out. But um, <laughs> I I don't have a great answer other than um, I'm from Pennsylvania and I grew up in different places around Pennsylvania. But the place that is the anchor for me is Gettysburg. And uh, I went to this like teeny Catholic school in Gettysburg and uh, we used to go um on field trips like walk down to the battlefields and the sites there Mm. and um i think about this a lot and i haven't really written about it much but um i have these memories of the place just kind of feeling like haunted you know like every object was like a historical artifact or every object had a story behind it and there's two places in particular that were usefully terrifying for like a, a young creative mind. One, well, I mean, first of all, just the battlefields. Like, I, you know, I have a poem about this in my book that like once in a while people would come with metal detectors to see if they could scan our yard. So the, you know, for like old buttons and coins and stuff yeah. like that. And, and it just gives you a whole sense of like people have been here before. <laughs> like, yeah. this is not, you know what I mean? This yeah. land has like been something else. And, um, then I remember I had this uh, teacher named Sister Alfreda in first grade <laughs> who took us to the Jenny Wade house. Jenny Wade is like, at the time they said she was the only civilian uh, killed during the Battle of Gettysburg, but now we know there were a few more. But anyhow, she was one of them. And she was in the basement with her family cooking bread for the soldiers. But Or excuse me, she was in the basement with her family and she went upstairs to the kitchen to cook bread. And some of the gunfire hit the wooden door of her house and went through and killed her. Oh, wow. And so I remember going as a first grader with Sister Alfreda and her saying, go ahead and like put your fingers like through the (laughs) holes in the door, you know, like this kind of stigmata type of thing. And um, it sounds really macabre now. I don't think they would do it with kids. I was going to say, yeah, it seemed like the teachers had no chill. And they said, here, experience this in its fullest potential. No handrails, just go all out. Yeah. 
you know, nuns in the early 80s, I guess, you know, like they had no chill. Yeah. They, I mean, she was very nice. And in a way, like, I'm really glad that it wasn't, there wasn't more like shielding from that stuff or someone trying to sugarcoat what the Battle of Gettysburg was like. The, um, but anyhow, I just remember thinking like, you know, there's a lot of stuff underground and there's a lot of stuff in every object that we touch that is beyond its function. So mm. I feel like that's probably the origin story of the way I think about the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I like this kind of idea of the usefulness of, of something that kind of terrified you as a child or something that haunted you as a, as a child. Um, so when did that turn into writing? I mean, I wrote as a kid, like most people did, but, um, you know, I remember a short story about like an eager beaver, quote unquote, which is like pretty embarrassing. But um, it was a little later when I moved to uh, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour away from Gettysburg, um, where I started working at this like a little restaurant cafe um, and it was inside a bookstore mm. and People would come in from this college, Dickinson in Carlisle, which is a neighboring town, and kind of on Sundays talk about books and stuff. And I started to think of them as having a life outside of school. Um, and I started writing. I remember writing this like really, really, again, kind of macabre poem <laughs> about being trapped in like a graveyard or something when I was a junior in a I don't know who the influence was, but this is super embarrassing. I've never told anyone this before, but I remember I put on, everybody was out and I put on like this really intense classical music and I was like, I'm going to write, you know, mm. like, and it was pretty <laughs> awful, you know, but I just remember thinking like, there's a zone, you know, yeah. like there's a zone you can get in where like you can mar the beautiful blank page. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and so of course it was pretty bad and it was pretty bad. I went to college and it was pretty bad then. <laughs> And then, it, you know what I think? I've never really put it together, but it was not actually still till I started studying um, painting, mm. seriously, which I did in college. And then uh, the summer after my first year in college that I think I started to think of writing more seriously for myself. So oh, interesting. So do you, do you recall if there was a class or there was something that allowed you to transfer that information or maybe that epiphany from painting to writing to say, Oh, what what is it about uh, theory, perhaps, that allowed you to see beyond that medium? Yeah, and it and it wasn't a class. My um summer after my freshman year in college, I went to Ireland, and it was the first time I'd been out of the country, except for I think like a little trip to Canada with some friends, and um, I was in Ireland and with a group of painters from <laughs> the Rhode Island School of Design, and I think, with the exception of one other person, I was the only person who really was a writer mainly and and couldn't really paint that well. <laughs> but like it was, so, but but I got a chance to see how they saw things, you know, and yeah. and that was when I think it's probably healthy that I kind of got trained that way. And then we we went in Ireland and met a bunch of amazing writers. C.D. Wright was there, Forrest Gander, Billy Collins of all people, and mm. uh, these two Irish writers, James Simmons and Janice Fitzpatrick Simmons. And I just saw poetry way outside of like the academy at that point, mm. where people were like reading, standing up and reading poems in a barn. And it was not, it, it just wasn't what I thought poetry was, which was this really, really she-she, 
yeah. you know, like exclusive <laughs> thing. So right. I think that's probably where I was kind of like, oh, this is like cool. This is different. This isn't what I thought it was. Yeah. You, did you ever felt like it was extremely exclusionary, like you couldn't do it or it was, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was all no. I mean, now that I'm older, I can appreciate the English romantics, but I thought it was all, you know, I thought it was all like really um like the old equivalent of trust funders, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. writing about shepherds and stuff. And um, it just wasn't interesting to me at all, other than line breaks. I thought line breaks were, there was like some energy there that I was interested in, but mm. because I mainly studied like kind of old canonical poetry at the time, I thought they were metrical. So anyhow, when I actually saw people stand up and talk in a kind of raw, unfinished way in their poems, then I was like, oh, <laughs> like you can do that you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. it was totally different and i think that's where the painting thing came in too because i was seeing people rather than just like at a museum or you know in some sort of somebody's wall rather than seeing a finished painting i was seeing these painters who like painted whole colors before like i remember someone would um prep her canvas with gray mm. and i had heard of prepping with um you know you know like gesso or white or something but I, I saw someone prepping her camera with gray and I was like, what's that about? So anyhow, <laughs> I think I might've lost you again. Oh no. Just kind of touching on that. You, you totally didn't lose me on that. I thought that was just remarkable, but at that time, did you zero in on writers who were doing something that felt like what you wanted to do? Any inspirations or any? Uh, no, 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 no. I definitely didn't think it could be like a career, you know? Yeah. I mean, at the time, my parents owned a small construction company and mm. my sister had just become like had just graduated into engineering. And oh. I guess my touch, my touchstones were more. I mean, they were ambitious, but my touchstones were more like practical things like building things and you know, and so the thought of, I, I remember when I was graduating, I was, I thought, well, maybe I'll go into like children's book publishing because I love books and like mm. kids like books and that's an industry, <laughs> you know, I was yeah, like, yeah. and um, I had a, t I had a teacher when I was graduating named uh, Robert Coover, a fiction writer. And he pulled me aside kind of miraculously. And he's like, what are you going to do next year? And I was like, I don't know, publishing. And he was like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Isn't that like the pathway to writing? And he's like, definitely not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's what made me rethink of it. And um, even then, I after college, I was supposed to go, of all things, this makes me sound like I'm 100, but I was supposed <laughs> to go to um, Brussels in Northern Ireland because the European Union had just formed. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I'm, I swear I'm not 100, but it really wasn't that long ago. And um, the guy I was going to work with had a health crisis. And anyhow, it all fell through. So I applied to graduate oh. school as a backup plan, which is like a really horrible backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess like before you said, you know, what about when did I like find poetry or something? I don't feel like I found it. I felt like I did my like generational best to avoid it, but like it kept popping up and mm. it felt like there were opportunities and stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought it was just a, kind of a hobby. You can't really, but eventually I learned to make a life. It took a while, but I learned to kind of make a life from like little jobs here and little sure. teaching here and stuff like that. You yeah. know, was there ever any tension with family because of that? Or was it just one of those things that was gradual to the point where it wasn't even, um, sort of reason for an argument 
because I do think that sometimes family either seems to be 100% with you or 100% against <laughs> you in, in these matters. So I'm curious how that relationship was with your family. I mean, I think it was like, I don't mean to burst your theory or anything, but I feel like it was sort of in between. Like, <laughs> I think luckily my sister went first, so she broke the seal and, <laughs> you know, her engineering thing anchored us, I guess. Mm. Um, but I think my parents were kind of like, we know you're not going to be an engineer. <laughs> I mean, I do remember when I was in my like mid twenties and I was working as an adjunct at BU and my father called me at office hours one day and he said, are you sure you don't want to be a pediatrician? <laughs> and I was like, I'm literally at office hours. Like this is such a hard job to get, you know? Um, but no, I think they were always, they were like, this is neat that you are into writing. Mm. We don't do it. We're not like they're, they, they, um, I, I think they're kind of like, what is this? You know, yeah, but I think everybody yeah. is supportive in that way. Like they would never stand in my way, you know? Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That's yeah. lovely to hear because <laughs> I, you know, I think maybe through my own perspective, that's always kind of what it seems like, <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's always refreshing to see uh, those perspectives of a family that is, that is not, not going against, you know, what, what your, um, what your wishes are on that. So getting to, publish something and put together a collection of work. I know we're kind of leaping, you know, a, a quite a bit, but I'm curious how that happens where you go from exploring, you know, poetry and, and finding your footing there to a collection. How long does a collection typically take for you? How long did it take in the scope of your career? And um, if you could elaborate a little bit or give me a little bit on that. Well, I only have one book, so mm -hmm. I can't talk with too much expertise about this, but um, I know that the first poem, the oldest poem in the book, um, I wrote around 2010 and then, or 2011 or something, and then kept in a drawer. And then I didn't start writing any other poems that are in the book till like 2014, 2015. And then the book, uh, you know, was accepted for publication in 2015. So that means mm -hmm. it's like five years or something. Mm -hmm. I guess like the, a lot of the poems just kind of poured out of me, you know, cause they were reflections and so on and so forth. But it's interesting cause now I'm sort of trying to put together the second book and it's a really different process. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels <clears throat> more like there's a, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to shape it. But with yeah. the first book, I luckily had some friends I met with every week and uh, other writers, you know. Mm. And um so we would with each other put all the poems we had like up on a wall and say like, "Hey, look at this." We start to see shapes, you know. Oh, and wow. uh oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can only take partial credit for pushing it into a book because I didn't think it was a book at all. And especially one of my friends said, look what happens if we do this. And look, you have this thread, you have this thread, you have this thread. So I think getting external eyes to look and see what you don't know you have is really, really valuable, whether they're writers or not, writers or readers. Mm -hmm. So was this something that um, you were hesitant to do uh to do a collection it was just one of those things where like i'm gonna get there i'm not at that point yet to to publish a, a piece because by then you had been writing for a while right 
Yeah. Well, I actually took about 10 years off after graduate school Mm. where honestly, I didn't really write much at all. I was Mm. teaching like five classes and doing side jobs and, Mm. uh, you know, it was sort of more giggy, you know, (laughs) than, um, and I just didn't, I was like exhausted and I didn't, uh, so I wasn't writing much. Um, but then, uh, you know, there was Mm. that one poem in 2010 that made me sort of start writing again. And, um, but I don't think I really was thinking like book. I was just thinking poems. And that I actually think is a free space to be because every poem had its own desires and its own space. And there wasn't any pressure to like put it relative to other poems or where's this going to fit or how's someone going to think about it. Right. It just, you know, could be. So I have actually a bunch of poems, even ones that have been published that aren't in the book because they're like funny or <laughs> they don't like fit, you know? And so right. now there's this question with the second book, like, well, how should I make stuff fit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and so. it feels like you give yourself that that freedom to figure out what that voice is going to be, keep refining that, and not be afraid to reach out into whatever direction you you want. There's really no barrier there based on theme or anything like that. So in, yeah. in regards to the book, I love this description from, from the blurb that says, this imaginative de- debut is the intersection of human and animal life closely examining the experience of womanhood. I mean, that is is such a a beautiful encapsulation of something, but I'm curious if you could elaborate on some of the ideas that are found in this this collection. Um, Yeah, I I mean, so one thing I just want to shout out, like, reviewers, (laughs) because I think, like, we all read reviews and are like, oh, that's nice, like, that person read it. I think reviewers are really helpful for the writer too, mm. but not just, of course, in promoting the book, but in helping us re-see the book. I, I remember um, Chelsea Wagoner did a review of the book in uh, Plume, and um, she said something about the poem beginning and ending with like a what if or something, which I had no mm. idea <laughs> that it did, you know? And yeah. um, I think, so growing up in a rural area, animals were everywhere alive and dead (laughs) and the fact that that over the course of my writing these poems became linked to motherhood i think makes a lot of sense i don't think i thought about it ahead of time but once the poems were written and sequenced i think that became apparent that that's something i mean i have poems about pregnancy loss and child Mm -hmm. loss and then i have poems about birth and you know so i think that that's part of one of the things I saw after the fact, which was these connections and these like categories that I really hadn't been thinking about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, I feel like that's a real generosity of people who do reviews is to help us all like think about the books we read in, in new ways. Yeah. And it does seem like there is an element of, of the exterior community coming into your world and helping you find what the connective tissue is. Can you hear me? So let's, let's try this again here. <laughs> I, I sort of lost my train of thought on this. Um, I, said, I said everything was, everything was haunted, you know? <laughs> so that's how it started. When you start by invoking the spirits, you're done for. <laughs> I have a feeling, I have a feeling that that's probably what happened. I, I'm definitely um, somebody, somebody who definitely follows that train of thought such as yourself. <laughs> so leading into that, I'm very curious and, and we'll go back to the collection and some current writings as well. In terms of the um, the the idea of spirituality making its way yeah. in, into the work, 
did you grow up in a in a religious family? Did you was that a huge part of your life at all, or do you do you have any uh, kind of relationship with spirituality? Yeah, I do. I did, and I do. I mean, I grew up. Um, I didn't when later, but when I was really young, I went to Catholic school. My family are all Catholic, and um, we were we were in it. You know, I remember when I was young in Gettysburg, my father would drive down to. Uh, this place called Emmitsburg, Maryland. And there was a shrine for Elizabeth Ann Seton, a Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton. And he brought home relics. Like he was really close friends with a, um, a priest down there who like as a young boy had entered the priesthood and he would come over for dinner. He was really nice. His name was Father Quinn. And he brought once this relic to our house that was like, you know, in the like explosive gold casing mm-hmm. and it was a tiny chip of bone wow. from this saint brought it to our house we had it at our house and that's what i mean about i just felt like there was this mixing of like sp- spiritual i don't know what to call it this sort of like lofty spiritual ambition and closeness and like belief and something really positive and generative and death and like mm. the physicality and corporality of death, like the, the fact that it's like bodily. And so wh- I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> you know, like I, like when I see a dead animal, I feel, well, I, let me rephrase this for people who aren't from rural areas. Like yeah. if I see like an animal on the side of the road, I feel of course, very sad. At, I feel sad at the, at the unnecessary, like at the borderline between you know, pe- humans and animals and how yes. like animals don't have free reign. But I also feel like a kinship to this idea that like we're all kind of returning to the earth and there's something yeah. sort of spiritually transcendent yeah. about it. So I think that is really linked to where I grew up. And I think it's really linked to a good part of not organized religion, but like the kind of spiritual ideas that sometimes can inform it, which is that like, there's something beyond just this, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Did some of this, some of these notions make their way into the collection? You think? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. And, 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 um, I have seen and learned from, um, people who have talked about like trigger warnings for like, um, the appearance of like dead animals or things like that. And Mm. at first that really confused me because I guess I just felt like I, it was such a part of life, you Mm -hmm. know, when you grow up in an area that at the time was like mainly farms and, and it it just, I was like, what, you know, but that's what the world is, (laughs) you know? Um, But, but I, but I realized that not everybody, you know, sees it that way with that same sort of, um, sense of like a kind of metaphorical ripple effect or mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I want to ask you if that's the case with you or like what your take well, is on this. You know, I, I, I have to say, I have to say that I do agree with you because I, you know, I was raised in a small. Did you ever like grow up with any of this stuff? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was raised in a small Wyoming town and you know, there's mm-hmm. wildlife everywhere. Now that I'm in Casper, Wyoming, there is definitely still a lot of that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, what is up? I'm so sorry. I, I was just trying to I was trying to flip the question on you. And then I was like, oh, maybe you didn't want me to. I was like, so what about you? Like, did you grow up with this? And then it was silence. And I was like, uh oh, I shouldn't flip the question. And I said, you know what? I'm leaving I'm leaving the conversation. I've had it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but I, I I was just gonna say that I do agree with you because I'm I was raised in a small town in uh, in Wyoming, yeah. and I'm currently in a just a slightly larger town in Wyoming, and we are faced with that every single day. So there's there's a lot of imagery that that might yes. be um, disturbing to some people, but I love that I get to acknowledge it and confront it because it confronts me and it does yeah. make its way into my writing. I mean, one of my favorite things I think that I've ever written is this script that I produced on my own. But one of the major messages was this idea that like, we need to have a little bit of humility. We can't control this, you know, we can't control nature and, yes. and to think that we can is an act of, of extreme hubris, you know? Um, yes. so it, I think that's what happens when you live out in the country, when you live out of the the man-made cities is is you get a, a deep sense of humility um for yeah. everything around you so i definitely agree and support that a hundred percent and you know yeah. i was just I, I was looking at those images i forget it. i think it was like a national geographic i got it from my daughter and mm. i was looking at it yesterday and they had um you know a piece on all the images that we saw from the pandemic but other other things too of of wildlife coming into the cities now. And yeah. I don't just mean the suburbs, but like the cities. So like, you know, raccoons, of course, which have always been there, but bears and coyotes and wolves in some cases. And every time I see it, my heart does a little jump. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, because <laughs> yeah. I, I think that reminder that like, yo, like we are only here because like exactly. they're letting us be here. Exactly. There's something about that that I think is is part of my like home language you oh, know? and i i adore that i mean i think it's wonderful to have because it's it's a sense of perspective like for me it's it's looking at old wyoming roads that haven't been cared for for about three to four years and the grass and the roots are just breaking them apart and already i mean oh, it doesn't yeah. take long it really doesn't take long and i can imagine humans not doing anything for a couple of years and the world would almost return to its default setting. I mean, it that's what it feels like to me. <laughs> I know we don't have video on, but I'm just like nodding, nodding, nodding. It, I just that idea of like they're coming to reclaim us to me, there's yeah. something about that that is, I don't know, strangely a relief, even though it's there's like a fear that goes with it, you know, and yeah. I don't know when you hear all the stuff about climate change and all right. the ways in which people are trying to like muck things up. Uh -huh. there's something about like the unending force and momentum of nature that is really reassuring. I oh think. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, for me, and this is something that I've sort of gotten used to a little bit in recent years is this idea that we're not alone. We are a part of this and yes. not, not just as, as like humans surviving or whatever, we are a part of the cycle. And I think that for a lot of us who experience a kind of loneliness growing up and things like that, it definitely put me at ease. I mean, b being young and feeling like, what's my place? You know, if we look a little bit beyond our noses and we realize that we're a part of a larger, larger occurrences in this, in this world, it definitely makes me feel like, you know, we're, we're home. Yes, we got to do our part, but whatever happens, we are going to be okay because we're a part of a larger picture. Ugh. From your lips, <laughs> I, 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 de I, de I definitely agree. And, um, you know, it's like a different way into what people talk of as environmentalism, which is mm -hmm. like 
thinking of this as just a collaboration, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly. But I'm sorry, we're kind of, <laughs> I, I could talk about this for hours and just be nodding with you all day. <laughs> but uh, what have been some successes that you have experienced from the collection or victories or, or things that you were able to kind of quantify in your own way? Because as we know, there's no right or wrong in any of this, but rather, how do you measure your victories out of this collection that you know it's funny so like the book came out june 2020 which was like nothing happening <laughs> <laughs> and so i didn't do like a big launch or anything in fact i think i have my first live reading coming up in august at the strand of all places with one of my idols oh, cool. which is uh john john mario who's like amazing and um, so that's the part that I think is the success is like that energy when you read poems aloud and someone in the audience is like, you know, I really felt that or I have been there or whatever. So to me, over the last two years and even before that, it's when someone takes time to email and says, like, I remember once I have one poem that's not in the book that's about um, at, there's a park behind my apartment and sometimes at like two, three, four a.m. I hear someone out there alone playing basketball. And mm. I find that incredibly moving. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote a poem about it. And um, I had a guy write me and he was like, look, I had, he was in grad school for creative writing. And he said, my advisor asked me to bring in some poems that like I really connected to. And like, I really was having trouble finding one, but like this poem made me feel like, oh, whoa, you know, and that to me is the success. Uh, truly like that when someone's like, hey, I've been through like loss of a child or, you know, pregnancy loss or, and, and, and you wrote this poem and I just suddenly felt like there was someone out there to me, a hundred percent. That's the, that's oh, the that's, dream. That's when, absolutely you know? beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't agree I, more. I, th I think most writers would say that, right? Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree. Just that moment of connection where somebody reaches out that doesn't have to and says, totally, this completely changed this moment for me or this you know, particular day. Um, just to, so what we're going to do, we're going to do a couple more questions, but I do want to let you know that we definitely have to have a round two of this sometime <laughs> down the road when your next book comes out, we definitely need to talk again <laughs> because I feel like this was an unfair interview for you. So I apologize. Oh, no, 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 no problem. <laughs> yeah, we get, we, I mean, I'm so excited that you get that language of like animals and fecundity and all that stuff. Yeah, so like, yeah. we got to just chat about that. <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. So let me ask you about uh, your hopes for this next book then, if we could kind of dig into it a little bit more. What are some things that you're bringing from the process of your last publication into this one? Like things that you won't do again. Well, boy, things that I won't do again. <laughs> I don't, there's nothing that I have done where I'm like, gosh, I shouldn't do that. Um, Cause I feel like the pandemic sort of hijacked <laughs> like a lot of, so I'm really curious to see what it will be like to drop a book when I can like go read it for people <laughs> or like, you know, um, my hopes for the next book. I mean, I'll be totally transparent and say like, I'm completely freaked the hell out. Like I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm very scared of a next book. Like what if it's not good or what if it, mm. you know, people have, been really warm in how they've received the first book. And so that can be its own sort of now, uh, you know, yardstick that's kind of scary. But um, yeah. I'm excited to try to be um, more complete 
about my engagement with the world and what I see. Like the first book was pretty dark and it's tr all true and it's all stuff that's true, but I like to joke around a lot, you know, <laughs> and there's so much joy in the world and I have more trouble writing poems about that. So I would really like in the second book to try to get into that stuff and say, like, I remember in the first book saying to, um, a poet I really admire and a friend from grad school, Eduardo Corral, that like, I, I, I want to, um, make sure that like, poems about sexuality and poems about motherhood are mixed up because mm. I don't like the idea that we split them and pretend that yeah. they're not connected. In the next book, I really hope that I can get poems that are, you know, about joy and about laughter as relief, but also as just its own truth. Like, I hope I can get yeah. those all mixed together in a way that feels fuller, you know, right. even than the first book. It, it seems hope. like, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the complete picture of how you see life needs to be in there. But I, I do think that getting that publication kind of frees you up as terrifying as it is or as scary as that may be you you seem to be in a wonderful position to just explore the bigger picture of how you how you want to capture the world in your poetry now lastly here for folks who are just starting out in the creative process and as a as an educator yourself we didn't really get a chance to talk too much about it but i i kind of want to ask you what are some things that would benefit somebody who was just starting out as a as a writer as a storyteller what would you say to them? Well, it's an oldie but a goodie, but definitely reading. And I and I know it sounds obvious, but a lot of people just don't want to read. They want to emote, but they don't want to read other poets. And I think it's so informative. Personally, I like going to live readings or hearing people. Now you can like sit in your living room mm -hmm. and listen to someone read, which is amazing. Um, and so I really like hearing other people read poetry because there's something about once the music gets going that like I just want to write too. And so I think. <laughs> That's really valuable. And then yeah. the other thing I'll quote like Dean Young who, in a really simple poem called Faculty Summary Report. He says, the first thing I always say is you have to pay attention. And I, I love that. Like the idea that paying attention is kind of our number one job. Hmm. Pay attention. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> About what you see or what you have seen, yeah. you know, or what your role is in what you've seen. And then I think that's that combination of reading and seeing truthfully um that's it you right. know to me that that you're off and running right and in in regards to community you you seem to have a very healthy relationship with with being able to get your work to a group of people that you trust and and not really hold anything back in that sense how does one build a community like that how to how do you get started in that process that's a great question. I mean, um, I think so when I first moved to Boston, I didn't really know anybody. And uh, I remember I had one friend from grad school who moved here. So he and I started to meet. And then I think we just there was a local writing center. We put out feelers there. We got one person from there. Another person I think we found from Craigslist, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just kind of like saying, hey, whoever wants to start talking about poems. Let's like just get together and see. And we had such different styles and that mm. was so healthy, you know, like yeah. to me, I feel like the more someone doesn't get my work, the more of a gift that person is because I just know like I need to figure out a way to like <laughs> reach <laughs> out or, you know what I mean? So yeah. to me, the worst thing is to create like a, a an echo chamber of just you and people who are just like you and right. write just like you. So that's the one thing I would say, just like get out into the world, you know, go to readings and then go up to someone and say like, Hey, do you write? Like, 
do you ever want to like meet and talk about it? I think that that's, it's, people are really receptive to that, I think. Oh, that's amazing. Great advice. That's, that's really wonderful to hear. I know that we just scratched the surface on so many <laughs> things that I wanted to talk to you about, but I think what we should do, and as I said before, I think we need to continue this conversation on a round two when you get your next book ready or when <laughs> there's something else going on, even if you want to market a, a reading that you have coming up, feel free to let me know because we, there's so much that I, that I wanted to cover with you. We, I know I, I want to hear about your work too. <laughs> I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to flip it, but oh, well, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm around. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's been really nice talking despite yeah. our interruptions. It's been really nice uh, chatting right. with you and, and thank you for all you're doing for writers and creatives and artists and stuff. It's really awesome and generous for you to use your time this way. Oh goodness, Allison. It's such a pleasure. And, uh, I just want to thank you for the courage to write about powerfully complicated and human things, for acknowledging our place in the world, and for just being so open about this, this whole creative process thing. It's really been a pleasure, and I hope that uh, we get to catch up real soon. Hey, thank you for your writing <laughs> and for your, all your, the work you're doing. So thank you so much. Awesome, And Allison. I look forward to talking again. <laughs> oh, yes, we will definitely. Hope you take care and have a wonderful Sunday. Likewise. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Hey there. Before I go, I just wanted to thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying Arts Calling, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to these episodes. Every little bit helps to bring awareness about these wonderful artists that we're featuring on this podcast. And don't forget to say hi. I'm over on Twitter at CruiseFolio, and I would love to hear from you, love to know what you're working on, and I wish you the best in life and craft. Make art, make haste, and much love. Thank you.